Hey, welcome to the Recruiting Trail. I'm your host, Andrew Nimick of the Oregonian and Oregon Live. The first day, the big day, of the early signing period is in the books. The Oregon State Beavers sign all eight of their traditional commitments, as well as signing Samisi Saluni, a class of 2018 three-star linebacker who returned from an LDS mission. It's a nine-man class. Traditional class is eight. They also bring in some preferred walk-ons. And, you know, I think if Beaver fans are looking at it and they look at pure ranking, they're probably pretty disappointed. This class is 12th in the Pac-12 and 111th nationally. That alone, in a vacuum, if you had a traditionally sized class, you'd say, it's panic time. That's a huge problem. We're in huge trouble. But in reality, the Beavers only signed eight traditional recruits that count towards their recruiting ranking. Samisi Saluni does not count towards their uh, their recruiting class ranking. So instead of even getting that extra little tiny bump you'd get if you had nine, they only count eight. The Oregon State Beavers with just eight commitments, much, much of the country signs between 20 and 25. So they're behind the eight ball. So the way to look at this really is to look at it by average stars per commit. And you might be saying, Nimic, that's not fair. You can't just suddenly say, let's base it on per commit because they only got eight guys. Well, they only got eight guys because they only have a handful of scholarships available. It's not like they had 25 spots and they couldn't fill them. They had a handful of, uh, they still have a handful of spots, but they're keeping those back potentially for the transfer portal or for some late flips. The reason this class is so small is because if you, if you go back four and five years ago to the guys that would be the seniors from last year that left, to create these openings, it's guys that were part of Gary Anderson's class. They've experienced Gary Anderson leaving, Corey Hall becoming head coach, Jonathan Smith becoming head coach, and anytime there's a coaching change, there are a number of transfers. There's been a couple of medical retirements, and Coach Smith has not been shy about adding transfers. So rather than continuing to get high school kids throughout these last few classes, he's filled spots with transfers. So now they have a smaller than typical, a smaller than average class. But that you can't count numbers and say, well, most teams have 22, they have eight. So they were 14 short of doing a good job. It doesn't work like that. You've got the scholarships you've got. And with those eight, if you go by average commit or average star per commit, their class is actually right around eighth in the Pac-12, which is pretty solid. That's a little bit better than the Beavers have done in the past few years. And another way to look at this, in the last three recruiting cycles, the class of 2018, the class of 2019, and the class of 2020, Oregon State did not sign a single recruit who was a top 500 prospect according to the 24-7 sports composite ranking. Not a single one. Not a single kid rated in the top 500 high school football players. This year, they got two, and they're good ones, and they're big ones. It's meaningful. Demir Collins is the headliner of this class, the Jefferson all-purpose back, rated as high uh, by one service as the number three all-purpose back in the country. Demir Collins was an absolute must-get for a number of reasons, and the biggest one, and I, I, I have a hard time sometimes explaining this to people because it is nuanced. There is an opportunity cost to missing at certain positions. If you miss at quarterback, there are some years where if you miss at quarterback, you go down to the next quarterback, you might not be going down that much. It might be just a tiny drop down. There are years where on the West Coast, if you miss out on the number three offensive tackle on the West Coast and you have to drop down to the number four or five, you might be dropping down 400 spots in terms of player rating because there aren't very many. 
this was a year, the class of 2021 was a year where there were not very many good running backs. There are a handful of good running backs on the West Coast, and Demir Collins is clearly one. If Oregon State wouldn't have been able to secure Demir Collins, if he'd ended up at Arizona State or Cal or Maryland or any of the other places he had offers from, they might have had to go down to just the next guy on the list, and that might have been a drop of four or 500 spots in the recruiting rankings. The gap between Demir Collins, getting Demir Collins, and who probably was next on the board was massive. So he was an absolute must-get, as big a must-get for Oregon State as almost any prospect in the class of 2021. He's an at-home kid. He's a high-rated running back. Oregon State has a lot of big-bodied running backs who are over 200 pounds. They need that back that's kind of the quick speed back that can get to the edge. They're getting that in Demir Collins. So not only is he an in-state kid, not only is he a highly-rated kid, not only are there not very many good running backs on the West region, and you are potentially going to have to drop way down to go after the next guy, but also he fills out what you need out of your running back room. Demir Collins is a phenomenal get. It's going to help them in future years, and it might help them in the class of 2022 because the top two prospects in the state of Oregon for next year, according to 24-7 Sports, are Trajan Williams, a four-star safety, one of the top 10 safeties in the nation, and Lamar Washington, a Jefferson linebacker, who's also a four-star prospect. If getting Demir Collins gets your foot in the door and ingratiates you to Houston Lillard, the head coach of the Jefferson football program and also the older brother of Damian Lillard, if you build that rapport with that Jefferson football program, which is on the rise, it may lead to future blue chip prospects for the program. So Demir Collins was absolutely essential. And I do not think when we even even when you see him as the class headliner, I do not think people realize how much of a headliner he really is. He was a massive priority in your state, a state that at a program that is starting to produce future talent. And it just it's it checks every box. He checks every box from a need standpoint. The other guy they get that's a real headliner and really to me jumps out is Easton Mascarenas, who's a four-star prospect according to 24-7 Sports, three-star prospect on Rivals. But Easton Mascarenas is a kid who when you put in the film and you say, we're a program that needs an identity. We need a big hitter. We need a tone setter. We need a guy that's not afraid. That's Easton Mascarenas. He's an inside backer and he's an inside backer at like six foot and a half, 220 pounds. There are a lot of safeties that are that size. So that's the knock on him. People who are a little lower on him in the ranking say he's not big enough. But but if you're not worried about size and you just say pound for pound, best football player, best linebacker on the West Coast, Easton Mascarenas is among the top linebackers in the entire West Coast when it comes for pound for pound, good football player, hitter, run sideline to sideline. He can do it all. Easton Mascarenas was a really, really nice addition and is yet another addition in this class. And this is a running theme for this class where Oregon State can point to to him and say, we beat multiple Power Five conference kids for that guy. And when you go back to the Gary Anderson years and he had some years where his program, his recruiting classes were 11th or 12th with 20 guys, with 24 guys. And you go back and look at the offer sheets of some of his commitments, you see over half the class in some cases with FCS and group of five offers. If you're Oregon State, if you're Coach Smith, the way to being competitive again, the way to potentially getting bowl eligible again, and the way to continuing the progress that we've seen on the field this season is to continue to beat other Power Five conference programs for talent. 
You got to consistently get top 500 kids. Occasionally, you got to get a top 250 kid. This is progress. And then you hit the transfer portal and fill the needs where you may be struck out on the recruiting trail with traditional high school and junior college talent. And they've been able to do that. Avery Roberts has had a monster season. Tristan Jebby was doing a nice job. And then, you know, I know there are a lot of folks who say uh, recruiting rankings don't matter, but the difference between getting a three-star high school kid and getting Chance Nolan, who was the number one junior college quarterback in the country, really has shown itself early because he showed a lot of promise. And that's what happens when you go out and you get guys who are the number one junior college quarterback in the country. They come in and they're ready to play and they're ready to compete. That was a nice get. Tyjon Lindsay's been a nice little wrinkle for the wide receiver crew. Addison Gums, when healthy, has been productive. So they've, they've done a good job of getting some talent here, getting better, consistent, Power 5 conference offered talent, and then also plugging holes and finding key spots to put in and plug in uh, quality transfers. So nice job with those two headliners. Sam Vidlak, in terms of ranking, is not a headliner. But man, I sure like Sam. Sam's a kid who I've had a chance to get to know throughout the recruiting process. He originally committed to Montana. And to be completely honest, I was floored that he committed to Montana. Uh, he committed really, really, really early, and it just felt too early. And he he fell in love with Montana, so he loved it. So good for him. He found a place. But I, everybody around him uh, that had watched him play was like, "Hey, man, um, I, it's a great offer. It's a great first offer. But you might even be a Pac-12 kid. So maybe, maybe don't commit to the very first offer." He said, "Hey, I like Montana. I really like the coaching staff. I like the environment." And then as he developed, it just became obvious. This is not only a Pac-12 talent. This is potentially a kid who's a four-star prospect. And unfortunately for him, right as his stock was really, truly coming up and rising, and I've talked to people behind the scenes who help with rankings who say, you know, if he you know, he was kind of on the cusp there of potentially being a four-star prospect at one point. And right around that point, coronavirus hit, shut down most camps, shut down a lot of the seven-on-seven circuit, and so his exposure was limited. And he's already a kid at Hidden Valley High School, which is fitting because he is maybe a hidden gem. So Sam Vidlak, I love. If you're going to go out and get a good quarterback and you're going to find somebody in the state of Oregon, uh, Sam Vidlak's a hit. That is not a kid where you get him and you go, man, we just settled for the best player in the in the state that we could find because we couldn't get other people. No, that's a kid whose stock was really rising. And suddenly you're looking around the West Coast and you go, the very best option, I think, for us is the one in our own backyard. Let's go snag him, slide him in under the radar, get him signed, and, and lock him in. So a nice job there to get Sam Vidlak, Amarion Faomi, uh, a nice player out of Salt Lake City, Utah, three-star prospect. And a lot of people point to his offer sheet, and, and he had quite the offer sheet, Utah and LSU and Nebraska. And I'd pump the brakes on that just a little bit and say a lot of those offers came in early. They, the, some of those schools were not pursuing him uh, in the last six months or so of his recruitment. But there was a real belief in him about a year before he committed to Oregon State that he might be a high, high-level four-star prospect. So it, he may have not totally, totally come together, but this is a frame, this is an athlete that a lot of people believe could end up being a star. And and sometimes that's where it goes, where a guy ends up being a three-star prospect and, and you look at it and go, man, if things would have broken just a little differently for that kid, he could have been a high-level or at least a mid-level four-star prospect. So that's an intriguing, intriguing get. Jimmy Valson's another one that stands out to me, the Texas wide receiver. Obviously, last year, uh, Oregon State found a gem in Zariah Beeson. He's a freshman already playing. Uh, caught a touchdown pass in the game not called the Civil War anymore against the Oregon Ducks. 
Bucks to help them get the win. But Zariah Beeson looks like a future star. And, I, and I'm not talking even necessarily about, you know, an all-conference guy. This is a kid who could end up playing on Sunday. Zariah Beeson is absolutely, absolutely special. So they go back to the well in Texas, say, hey, we found success last time. Let's go do it again. And they land Jimmy Valson, six foot three, 180 pounds. He's only a three-star prospect. But again, look at the Power 5 offers that kid has. He, he's blanketing. His, his offer sheet just kind of blankets that Midwest with, if you put a pin everywhere that he has an offer, you'd have pins all over the place. That kid's got offers galore. I know when he committed to Oregon State, there were a number of programs that still wanted to get him. So the fact that he ends up at Oregon State is great for them. They they were able to hang on to him. I really like that piece. Uh, Then you get JT Byrne. And and listen, when, when we look at places where... Because it's not all roses, right? I mean, we, we could we could spin this and say 12th in the Pac-12, 111th in the nation. That doesn't tell the whole story. Uh, but also, it would be dishonest to say, this is a phenomenal recruiting class. It's an absolute home run. They killed it. Because even if you go by average star rating, it's right around 8th in the Pac-12. So there's clearly room for improvement. And the Pac-12 is one of the worst conferences in the nation. Definitely, it's the worst of the Power Fives in terms of recruiting. So to finish 8th in the worst Power 5 conference for recruiting in the country, means there's room for improvement. And and JT Byrne might end up going to Oregon State and being a gem. I am not criticizing JT Byrne. He might end up coming in and being a good player. But when you look at, and as we talked about with Demir Collins, that's a home run get because the West Coast, and one of the reasons it becomes even better, is the West Coast didn't have a lot of running backs. This was a year where the Pac-12 was absolutely loaded at tight end. The Pac-12 region was absolutely loaded at tight end. You look at the top tight ends in the country, the top 20 tight ends in the country, almost half of them come from the West region. I mean, and then you look at where those guys committed. Oregon got two. USC got two. Cal got one. Colorado got one. UCLA got one. A lot of teams in the Pac-12 went, all right, well, there's a bunch of them, so we'll go ahead and grab a nice quality high-level tight end. And Oregon State, you can say, well, they got JT Byrne, they're happy with him. They offered all those guys. So it's not necessarily that Oregon State, you know, they identified JT as a much better kid. They saw the same talent that I saw, that Rival saw, that 24-7 saw in the West region. Man, let's go get one of these high-level tight ends. And they recruited against Colorado and Cal and UCLA and Oregon and USC for those tight ends and just didn't get one. JT could absolutely go to Corvallis and turn into a gem. He could, absolutely. I'm not I'm not knocking him. I'm just saying this staff identified a whole lot of talent before JT that they were going after and they struck out and after striking out they identified JT. And I think when you look at this class that's one area they could have done better. The other area I would say Oregon State perpetually can do better is the offensive line. And you look at the offensive line, and Henry Buckles from Hood River Valley's got a chance to develop. He's a two-star on Rivals. I think that's way too harsh. I think he's a three-star prospect. 24-7 Sports has him as a three-star prospect. He's not a guard. He's not a tackle. He'll play center, and he might end up being a really good center. And not only, in a little funny story with him, Henry Buckles not only potentially can be a good center, but he's also getting a little bit of a head start because his trainer, his primary trainer, is Alex Linnenkohl who not only trains folks at Line Pro now and does a phenomenal job, but also for fans who have been fans of a long time, Lennon Cole played center at Oregon State. He knows what it takes. 
He knows what it takes to play center and be successful at Oregon State. Obviously, the system's changed, and obviously it's a different crew, but in terms of here's what it takes to be a Pac-12 center, uh, Alex Cole knows what that is. And he's working with Henry Buckles, who's an excellent track athlete as well as a thrower. Uh, so a lot of coordination, a lot of strength, a lot of core strength, a lot of talent. I like Henry Buckles, but... When you look across the landscape at offensive line, uh, you know, Oregon State offered 13 offensive tackles. They went over. They offered four guards. They got one. They offered one center. They didn't get him. Buckles on, on some sites was, was listed as a guard. So that's why I say they got a guard, even though realistically he's a center. So when you offer, when you offer 18 offensive linemen and you're willing to take, you know, three or four in this class and you end up with one, that's another area for improvement. That's another area where they need to get better consistently on the recruiting trail. But the one area that Mahalchek does a great job with is, I don't care. Give give me your two stars. Give me your unrateds. I will turn them into a solid offensive line. And I have to give him credit. I have to give him a tremendous amount of credit because for the last few years, Oregon State hasn't recruited well along the offensive line. In fact, they've had years where they've recruited so poorly at the offensive line that they've had to dip down into the big sky and try to steal a Portland State commit, a Montana commit, an Eastern Washington commit late in the cycle because they needed a body. And somehow, some way, Mahalchek, who I think as an X's and O's coach, as a developmental coach, is one of the top 10 offensive line coaches in America at the college football level, uh, he takes these kids and turns them into a good old line. And now I'm saying, that's wonderful. That's very good. Now I'd like to see you consistently get maybe a low four-star here and there, but certainly mid to high three-star guys consistently. And I would love to see what Mahalchek could do with those guys. Because I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if he had that level of talent, they'd have one of the best O-lines in the Pac-12. Because the guy can flat out coach. He just flat out is a great coach, great developer. So I have to give him credit. And everyone should give him credit. It's a nice job by him. Just needs to get better on the recruiting trail. Overall, Oregon State fan, you got to be happy that this is a step forward. Two top 500 high school kids. Haven't done that in the entire Smith era. Haven't gotten one in the entire Smith era. You get a big-time running back. You get a linebacker who's a tone setter. You get a quarterback who you feel like potentially could have been a four-star talent, and you only had eight spots. What's left for Oregon State? What can Oregon State get going forward? They've got three or four spots left. I think they're going to try like heck to flip an offensive lineman from somewhere from somebody who didn't sign. I think that's a realistic goal. They're talking to offensive linemen who who are were on the fence about signing before signing day, and some of those kids did not sign. The other thing they're going to do is hit the transfer portal. And if you've been paying attention, and, and most of you have, if you're listening to this show, you pay attention to recruiting, you pay attention to all the different rules around the NCAA. Uh, the NCAA just approved a rule where kids can transfer one time from, co- from college to college for free without sitting out a year. They're, the sit-out transfer idea is gone for first-time transfers. So the transfer portal is going to be loaded. So Oregon State can watch this team finish out this year and say, okay, here are the here are the three or four spots we'd like to get a lot better by next season. And just go out and try to go get immediate help at some key spots. That's what's left for the Beavers. It's it's not a huge class. It's not a top 25 class, not even a top 100 class. But it actually is improvement. And maybe that takes some adjusting and maybe that takes a little squinting. But I just think it's pretty easy to understand when there's only eight commitments and other teams 
at, at most of the other teams in the, in the country at least are getting 15, 16, 17 commitments, of course you're going to be rated low. They have twice as much ta- talent coming in. But in terms of average commitments, it's, you know, again, roughly eighth in the Pac-12. And that's not bad. It's a step forward. It's a step forward. It's not a home run. Oregon State fan who go, Nimick's being super negative. This is a wonderful recruiting class. They're lying. They're lying. They're lying. This is not a wonderful home run. Oh my gosh, we're over the hump. We did it class. But anybody who said, we did a terrible job. We're not in the top 100. This is awful. Or any Duck fan or Washington fan, Oregon State's going to be irrelevant. This class isn't in the top 100. They're wrong and lying too. There's an in-between. There's a middle ground. It's somewhere in the middle ground. It's not a massive leap forward for Coach Smith. Frankly, it's not a big leap forward for Coach Smith. It's a small step forward. More Power 5 conference level kids, percentage-wise. Obviously not more. You only have eight commitments. Uh, but in terms of you know number of kids or percentage of kids in this class who had multiple other Power 5 conference offers, most of them did. That's a step forward. Two top 500 kids, that's a step forward identifying a good quarterback a year after getting a JC guy that you know is potentially a project, but you know he's going to stay in the program. He's going to battle. He's going to learn. He's got potential to become a starter the last two years of his high school or of his college career. That's a win. That's a win. Step forward, Beaver fans. Not a home run. Not a strikeout. That's it for the recruiting trail. Thank you, as always, for listening. Listen, I do not condone. I don't condone theft. I don't condone stealing. I think it's wrong. But... That being said, if you, on the slide, want to take your mom's phone, your dad's phone, your cousin's phone, you want to take your teenage son's phone or daughter's phone, and you want to go into podcasts, or you want to go into Stitcher, and you want to go ahead and, and, and subscribe to this show so it's another place that someone's subscribing, and te- heck, even tell them to listen if they're into recruiting or college football. If you want to do that for me, I'd really appreciate it. Give their phone back. Probably tell them you did it. Even if you didn't, I won't care. But please, subscribe where you can. Uh, Appreciate you. Thank you very much for listening. And and we'll be back next week for more analysis because the Beavers aren't done. Uh, Also, keep in mind, this is a two-parter. This is part two. Part one looked at the Oregon Ducks. So if you care about both, if you're one of those rare fans in the state of Oregon or on the West Coast who is both a Duck and a Beaver fan, Go ahead and find part one where we break down the Oregon Ducks signing day hall. Again, thank you, as always, for listening.